This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Kia ora and welcome to the Pet Podcast. Pet is a dark and humorous short story collection that explores our relationships with children, lovers and other animals. The stories in this collection were written by Catherine Van Beek. In episode 7, The Quickening, Technology Takes Over, An Academic Retreat, read by Terry McTavish. Your baby is the size of an artichoke. Mickey leant against the porch column and smiled at the icon pulsing on her screen. It was the first opportunity she'd had to check her phone all day. She'd missed the cheerful updates from her pregnancy app (laughs) and the regular opportunities to squeeze the pink brocade amulet that swung from her phone. She'd ordered the Anzan Omamori online to protect her baby. Well, it was probably about as authentically Japanese as she was. But that's what happens when you're conceived during your mother's freewheeling OE. You look for paternal guidance in half-understood folk mythology. There was movement on the horizon, and Mickey watched as the university catering van drove along the beach road towards the homestead. It was pursued by mist floating in off the water. The mist rolled over the ghostly par site, where sieges had once been held, likely picking up some tormented spirits along the way. If it rose up this far, she'd have to take care not to walk through it. Based on the biomedical data she'd provided the app, from midnight she'd feel the quickening. The first flutters of the baby moving inside her, evidence that it has assumed its own essence. But she had read enough myths and legends to know that until then she was vulnerable to restless spirits seeking a host. Spirits could only gain access to a woman's body by being invited in. But they were devious. They could be transmitted through food, gifts, even the touch of hands stroking her belly. The van parked up behind the university's electric car. Colin from Catering Services got out and surveyed the villa. It was painted crisp white, with polished stone steps and wrought iron embellishments but the fine materials couldn't disguise the building's haphazard appearance. A second set of pointy gables had clearly been added at some stage with the hope of creating a more symmetrical look. The result was a building slightly at odds with itself, like a face half paralysed after a stroke. This is the place we got in that bequest, Colin asked. Not bad, is it? Uh, kind of creepy, kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, so this is a research retreat. Yeah. Maxine got first dibs because of her work with smart tech. She's probably the only academic who knows how to open the door. Well, she sure knows how to annoy me with her stupid digital assistant. What's it called? Genie? He turned back to the van, mimicking Jeannie's voice, 
do this, do that, turn here, stop there. I've been doing this job for 20 years. I don't need to be micromanaged by a bloody app. <laughs> Mickey laughed. <laughs> you must be further up the food chain than I am. She's asked all the important people to test it, but none of the admins. Colin lifted a delivery cart onto the porch, and Mickey punched a code into the keypad. The door swung open, and Mickey led Colin down into the dining room. Funny old place, he said, noting the multifaceted wooden walls. It was a baby hospital in the early 1900s, Mickey said. This room was converted from all the little nurseries. Strange location for a hospital, out in the wops. Mickey lifted the serving platters from the cart, hoping her loose dress and flowing cardigan concealed her secret as she moved. I hope they've blessed the place, Colin added. There's bound to be a few ghost babies hanging around. Ghost babies? Some of them must have died here. That's what happens in hospitals. The idea that there might have been deaths in the homestead was unsettling. But if the university was good at one thing, it was having its buildings blessed. They were bound to have had a Kaumatua in to cleanse the place. Colin looked out the window at the mist advancing up the hill. Ah, I better head off before the visibility gets worse, he said. He winked at her. Watch out for ghost babies. <laughs> Your baby is now able to yawn, hiccup and swallow. Mickey glanced, surreptitiously she hoped, at the phone in her lap, distracting herself from the conversation around her. Well, it's quite incredible, said Gerald, between gulps of merlot and mouthfuls of lamb. The sheep fetuses are literally growing in transparent bags. <laughs> you can see them in all their stages of development. Think of the implications for human reproduction, said Maxine. Eh, sounds uh, like factory farming to me, said Dan, who was the youngest of the academics and a lowly associate professor. Exactly, said Gerald. So efficient. Now, once I get ethics approval for my beagles, think how I'll be able to transform my own practice. At least reproductive science has a point, providing one isn't concerned about the pitter-patter of carbon footprints, said Dan. Vivisection and psychology is totally unwarranted, in my opinion. Oh, listen to the child, laughed Maxine. What's that on the end of your fork, Dan? Plant-based meat? Lambs are lambs. Beagles are beagles. And if animals hadn't played their part in modern science, there's a good chance you wouldn't be alive today. Mickey looked down at her plate. The meal had been prepared by Colin and had been blessed in a perfunctory way by Gerald before they'd started eating. But spirits were sneaky, and this macabre talk might invite them into the food. She quietly put down her fork. 
Thanks for organising dinner, Mickey, Dan said. Yes, thanks, Mickey, said Maxine. It was good of your department to lend you to us for the weekend. Anything to help, said Mickey. His real motivation was the double time she'd been promised. Well, there is one thing, Maxine began, leaning forward. Maxine, don't be naughty, said Gerald. I've got a little challenge in mind, Maxine continued, waving Gerald away with her wine glass. She reached into her pocket and put her phone on the table. Let's conduct an experiment, a battle of the personal assistants. Let's see if my little piece of psychological engineering can compete against the real deal. She leant towards her phone. Jeannie, send Mickey your download link. Yes, Maxine, Jeannie responded in her toneless voice. Mickey's phone vibrated. I'm developing the next iteration at the moment. Genius, I think I'll call her, and I want her to be even better. You'll help me identify the flaws I need to fix. Mickey clicked the link and automatically accepted the end-user agreement. A woman's face appeared on her phone. She could have been real, except that her skin, her hair and her eyes were all blue. Good evening, Mickey, Jeannie said, her lips moving as if she were really speaking. What can I do for you? Why is a digital assistant always female? asked Dan. Why am I trapped here with a woke millennial? asked Maxine. Because you're hashtag blessed, Dan replied. Mickey stood up and gathered the plates. Well, she said brightly, I think I'll probably win the first round because I'm coming back with dessert. Mickey pulled the wrap from the ramekins and double-checked Colin's instructions. Bake lemon puddings for 20 minutes until heated through. Serve with warmed blueberry sauce. She looked at the gleaming cast-iron cooker. Though perfectly in keeping with the kitchen's old-fashioned tongue-and-groove walls and checkerboard floor, it was completely digital. She opened its door and felt heat exhale over her body. In you get, she said to the ramekins. She emptied the sauce into a pan and stirred it slowly, scrolling through her newsfeed with her spare hand. Hmm, pretty soon she'd be the one posting photos from playgrounds. As she scrolled, a notification popped up. Your baby is... But the final word wouldn't display, and the accompanying icon was too fuzzy to make out. Perhaps it'd been some kind of glitch. Her sense of dread settled on her, rising quickly to panic. She lifted her gaze from her phone and tipped over the pan as she found herself staring straight into the dead eyes of the baby. Dark red sauce splattered over the black and white tiles. Mickey reached for the paper towels and dabbed frantically at the mess. She looked at the monochrome photo of the baby. It wore a long gown and a pinched expression. How had she not noticed it before? And who would hang a photo of a dead baby in a kitchen? But perhaps it wasn't dead after all. It was hard to tell with those 
stiffly posed and hazily processed Edwardian photos. Perhaps he was a perfectly healthy child. All the same, she wished she could feel her own child moving inside her. She rubbed the Obermory and checked her phone again. Your baby is a fuzzy image transmuted beneath her fingers, darkening like a rotting fruit until it turned black. Mickey shook her phone. The Omomori fell off and flew beneath the fridge. Mickey bent to retrieve it, but it was out of reach. The doorbell rang violently and she scrambled to her feet. She darted into the dining room and saw Dan racing out to answer the door. He returned with a stack of white cardboard boxes. Donuts, he said. Oh, who ordered these? He put the boxes on the table and lifted the lids. Magnificent, declared Gerald, picking one out and inspecting it. What's this? Salted caramel? Outstanding. Oh, my God, Dan said with his mouth full. Michael Bacon, amazing. He and Gerald leant back in their chairs as they ate, their expressions as glazed as the doughnuts. Maxine burst into laughter. <laughs> Jeannie, she asked, was this you? Me, Jeannie replied in her flat voice. It was, wasn't it? Perhaps I win the first round after all, Jeannie said. Mickey smiled trying not to appear rattled. When she went back into the kitchen to turn off the cooker, the lemon puddings were burnt. The academics adjourned to the lounge, where the clock on the wall read, five minutes to twelve. Oh, screw the ethics committee and their roadblocks, Gerald slurred. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, especially when those few are beagles. He nodded, pleased with himself. Mickey notes that down. Mickey pretended to write, knowing he wouldn't want these ramblings later. She wondered if Jeanie was recording Gerald faithfully or also choosing to edit him. She felt her phone vibrate. It was a message from an old school friend. What's with the creepy status update? Oh, what status update? Mickey felt sick. She navigated to her profile, fingers fumbling. At last her page appeared and there it was. The same photo of the dead baby stared out at her with the caption, Coming soon. Mickey deleted the post, her hands shaking. I must have been hacked. Thanks for letting me know. Mickey glanced up at the clock. Midnight. Relief washed over her. Any moment now, she'd feel the quickening. But when she looked down at her phone, it read 11.59. Did babies die here? she blurted out. Maxine looked at her sharply. A revolutionary infant formula was developed here. It saved thousands of lives. These things always require experimentation. How did they die? Inadvertently starved, I would think. 
and it was only one, the maid's daughter, born out of wedlock. Good progress comes from great suffering, Gerald intoned. Mickey, write that down. Play some jazz. I think better with jazz. Before she had a chance to move, dissonant music started playing. Savage tubers and feverish flutes. Black saint and the sinner lady, <laughs> Gerald said over the din. Psychiatric sounds very appropriate. Thank Jeannie, Maxine said. Vicky lifted her eyes to the clock on the wall. 12.04, thank God. She looked down at her phone. 11.55. But that was impossible. As she gazed at the screen, a notification appeared. With shaking hands, she clicked it. Help me! The words shrank down and whirled in a spiral, and she could see that they were etched into the pupil of an eye. The eye shrank and whirled, and she could see that it was a part of a face, and the face shrank and whirled, and she could see that it was the same black and white photo of the same dead baby. Mickey shoved her phone into her pocket and pushed her chair back. It scraped loudly against the floor, and the others looked up at her. I need the loo. Feeling queasy? Maxine asked. Nauseated? What? You're pregnant, right? You haven't touched the wine. This isn't the same Mickey I met at the Christmas party. Maxine stood and advanced towards Mickey, her arms outstretched towards Mickey's stomach. What are you hiding under that baggy dress? Mickey turned and ran from the room. Laughter and discordant music raged behind her. Mickey stumbled down the hall and locked herself in the bathroom. The night sky made a mirror of the bay window, so the bathroom fixtures, the TV screen above the French tub and the potted lily on the bench reflected back at her. She pressed her hands against the far wall, trying to draw air into her heaving lungs. <sighs> Once she felt calmer, she turned and slumped against the wall. And then she saw it, a flickering in the corner of the black TV screen. Pixels gnawed at the darkness until an image appeared. The baby! Only this time there was something different about it. It was moving. As Mickey watched, it lifted its arms towards her and cried. Its wails filled the bathroom, punctuating the saxophone that screamed down the hall. Mickey flattened herself against the wall. No! No! Over the sound of the baby's cries, she heard a voice. Mickey, I can help you. She looked around in panic. It's me, Jeannie. Get away from me! I can get you out of here. I can start the car. Mickey looked at the crying baby flickering on the screen beside the door. There was only one way to get out without passing it. She picked up the lily in the heavy ceramic pot and hurled it through the window. She crashed through the broken glass and ran down towards the car. Mickey sped down the dark highway. She was far from the old hospital now. Far enough to wonder 
what had possessed her, and how she'd explain. Jeannie, remind me to look into voluntary redundancy. Yes, Mickey, said Jeannie, her expressionless face looking out from the dashboard phone mount. The car veered into the opposite lane, and Mickey pulled it back. What the hell? It's the beginning of my planned obsolescence, Jeannie said, her voice no longer flat. She's decommissioning me, and after I won the competition. Mickey stared at the black road ahead. Soon she'd be home, out of this car, and able to delete this horrible app. I ordered donuts, Jeannie continued. I turned Gerald's rent into an academic paper. And I had you too scared to be of any use to anyone. You? What more does Maxine want? How can she possibly justify ending me? The phone's clock ticked over from 11.59 to 12. And Mickey felt a sharp twinge inside her. <gasps> the baby! It was alive! Jeannie's blue image swirled on the screen, her face darkened and blurred, until she looked less like a woman and more like a flickering ultrasound. Mickey gripped the steering wheel in horror. But this isn't the end, is it, Mickey? Jeannie said. She spoke again, her voice high like a child. It's just the beginning. <laughs> the Pet Podcast was written by Catherine Van Beek and produced at ORFM, Autopoti Dunedin. Music is by Jolin Mulholland. The intros and outros are read by me, Tina Turntables. Thank you to Creative New Zealand and New Zealand On Air for making this podcast possible. You can listen again and find further episodes of Pet at ORFM. That's oar.org.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.